Hello and welcome to Bumpcast in Conversation. I'm your host, Fergus Sweetland. Bumpcast has always been about sharing music from local and international artists. My intent for the podcast has always been to help fuel the growth of techno culture here in Melbourne and Australia. As a producer myself, I think there's always something to learn and something inspirational to gain from a conversation with other music makers, and by extension, those people in the background who help this scene tick over. I have a lot to say on the subject of music in general, and techno, but moreover, I love knowing the people who are behind the music. Therefore, I felt the need to expand this podcast into the medium of conversation. To kick off this Bumpcar sub-series, I spoke with Rene Wise, real name Andrew Shobbery. The British producer has already racked up a hugely impressive list of achievements, including releases on Mark Broom's Beardman Records, as well as Luke Slater's Moat Evolver label. He's also taken on sets at the Bergheim twice, and on his second occasion playing there, he opened the space. He's managed to achieve this at the ripe old age of 22, which I just think is astounding. His music could simply be described as body music. It's pacey and refreshing contemporary techno, with groove being the main feature here in his productions. I highly recommend checking out some of his productions before this conversation. We do tend to talk about a couple of his tracks here, so it's always good to have a background on what his music is and what it's about. The start of this conversation is somewhat clumsy, as we're talking about our studio setups. I've included this at the start of the podcast, however, as I think what Andrew has to say is worthwhile advice. So without further ado, let's dive into a conversation with Rene Wise. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, man. It's all good. Where am um, I um, calling you from? Uh, I'm just back at home now. So just in my kind of room slash uh, studio setup. Give us a tour. So, <laughs> uh, let me, uh, this is a front facing camera. Can you get to the, oh yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, it's pretty modest. It's not, not much, just pretty much just my equipment. All the essentials. Yeah. Now I mean, like my, my setup is pretty simple to be honest. Yeah. Just a few more bits down there. Oh man, mine's, um, mine's basically you... even simpler. Yeah, but I mean, that's, oh, one sec. Uh, there you go. Oh, fucking hell, this camera. <laughs> it's all you need though, like. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Um, you don't need a complicated setup. It's just about knowing what you've got and just working with what you've got. 100%. And um, I mean, yeah, I've only got like, I've got a few simps, but I only kind of, I kind of go between one or two. Um, just like a little sequencer, like a little <clears throat> hardware effects unit, uh, mm. drum machine. And um, and it goes into like a little sub mixer, some old little like Tascam sub mixer. But um, yeah, it's all simple stuff. Uh, I mean, I feel like if you get, if you have too much stuff without properly learning what you've already got, then it can, uh, you can almost kind of procrastinate a bit and not, really go deep into what you've got yeah <clears throat> you kind of get distracted by having so many different things without really kind of properly learning and going deep into what you've got so kind of with each bit of equipment that i've got i like to kind of try and uh go as deep as i can into using it until i feel like i've got a lot out of it and then i can maybe think about uh adding a new piece yeah i, I agree with you rather. it's that yeah. sort of that limitation that sort of just helps like if you if you go too heavy on having like all these toys and stuff you just get lost in it yeah for sure and um and i find yeah like limitation can uh 
breeds quite a lot of creativity, I find. Yeah. Um, and obviously it works both ways as well. Like obviously having a lot of um, good pieces of gear that you can be creative on can obviously breed a lot of ideas. But I, I feel like, um, yeah, majority of the time, every time you see someone that has like a studio with like 10 different synths or whatever, that's usually something that they've built up over a period of years. It's yeah. never going to be something that they've, they've it, like it's never something that they've got in like the period of like two years or so. That'd be like a long time building that kind of a plus. It just kind of studio takes so much money to get something like that. Oh yeah, that's that's. I think that's the main thing. With most yeah. people is just <laughs> that this this stuff is so um so damn expensive. Absolutely. So I sort of stripped yeah, back that's, my that's, setup just to like I I'm not even running any hardware gear at the moment. It's mostly just um like software sent through a controller. But I bought some speakers. I don't have the reverse cam, but you can sort of. Yeah, yeah. I got like a yeah, that's cool, somewhere, but I got some Eve Audio speakers recently, and like that, that was like a, a main like difference, just like having that like crisp, crisp yeah, I mean, that, speaker. I mean, I, I literally still use uh, KRK Rocket Fives. <laughs> that's the first. <laughs> that's, they're the first monitors I ever actually got, but I just haven't got round to um, changing them yet. But but the thing is, I know them like. They're not the highest quality monitor, but I know them inside out now. That's the thing. And like, what you're making's sounding pretty fucking good, considering. Like, yeah, <laughs> Thanks, I mean, man. Yeah. Well, I've got like a because that's the thing. I use the monitors, and I also go back. I, I have headphones as well, so monitors and headphones. Plus, I recently just bought this. Uh, show you. It's called. Um, oh, let me just switch the camera. Have you ever heard of a sub pack? Yeah, dude. I've I've heard a couple people Maybe talk about it. I'm I'm super curious about it. Yeah, here it is this this is the one that you um because you can get one the version that you can attach to your seat and this is the one that you actually kind of wear like a, a backpack almost. Um, and yeah, I've got that recently and um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's uh, it definitely lets you kind of because it lets you feel all the the proper low stuff that you kind of wouldn't really especially on like five inch monitors. Yeah, exactly. Just can't replicate the sound. Yeah, I mean, it does get, it's, um, it gets like, uh, it's, I'm still getting used to it in terms of uh, using it for mixing just because um, it takes, like, I, I find I have to reference a lot with other, other tracks just to kind of find the balance of it. Yeah. And there's like an intense, there's an intensity knob on the control. And I've kind of like, I've kind of set it at one point and just left it because I feel like if I, if I play around with the uh, intensity knob, then I'm kind of losing my point of reference every time I use it. But yeah, no, it's yeah. definitely, it, I, I mean, I found like, I lose. I use it less than I thought I would, but I kind of, I am literally just using it as a reference for when I'm doing my mix downs. Because like usually, that's the thing. I know my I know my speakers and headphones so well now that like I, I usually get the mixed uh, to a point where when it's sounding good on both of them, that's when I test it on the sub pack. And if it feels like a, and that 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 usually gives me like a, that lets me hear the very kind of minor subtle things that I need to change. So maybe I need to like tone the kick down by like maybe like a, a db or two or something like that so like mm. very like subtle things that's that's where it helps and that, oh, I think it makes the biggest difference like the though point. yeah yes yeah, that's the thing it's, it's usually the subtle stuff that kind of um makes the biggest difference like you said and like stuff like if i'm doing like any self-mastering for my for tracks that i want to send about that can um it makes it yeah it makes it's very good for that kind of critical listening i've i've, I've sort of just been curious about the idea of getting one myself like it's a wacky idea, but 
it sort of makes sense. Like if you sort of feel what you might feel in a in a club scenario where, or like a festival scenario where you've got all this low end that you can actually hear, like it sort of makes sense to sort of feel it first. Yeah, in it's, the studio. it's uh, it's for sure. It's, it's like um, it's definitely quite a weird experience, but it's definitely it's definitely good. I mean, it, it for yeah for like kick drums and stuff, it really lets you kind of feel the um really you feel like the oomph of like a kick and uh it's like yes yeah, so it's weird i mean like i said i'm still getting used to it because uh it almost makes anything sound good like when you when you use it like it makes anything <laughs> sound like it's punchy but at the same time when i start referencing between tracks that's when i do notice that uh even if one track still sounds good if i reference it to a track for instance that i know sounds good that i've heard out then you can kind of definitely tell that there is a difference it might still that other track might still kind of feel like it's got a punch, but actually it's not as much as it could be. So it does. Yeah, right. Yeah, it does. It does let you hear the kind of um, them subtle little things in the low end, and you can it lets you go down like super low. Like if I, I did like a sine wave test, and I think down at like even when it got to like 15, 10 hertz, you can still because that, that's purely just frequencies that you yeah, can only feel. Yeah, you can't hear that. And it does does let you feel it, but um, yeah, no, it's good. It's it's for the price, I'd say. It's, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you haven't got like a like me. I haven't got an acoustically sound room. Uh, yeah, not a lot. Yeah, so it does does help with that stuff. I might have to check that out because I'm just rocking seven inches and like I don't know. They go down to forty five hertz. It's just it's it's not enough. It's, yes, it's never it's never it's never going to be fully kind of accurate. Mm. Um. Yeah, I suppose one thing is like it's hard to sort of go out and test a track in Melbourne on like a sound system. Just we really don't have the bass down here. I find in like a venue, like there's no sort of sub system really gives it that oomph. I, I played a gig. Well, yeah, I played a gig last weekend, and there were some tracks where you expect like the kick to be real heavy, but the the, <laughs> the sub just can't put it out. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, that's a, that's a problem. I mean, especially like, because there, there are a lot of clubs, a lot of like your standard clubs. They don't, yeah, they don't have the best sound systems or the most powerful sound systems. And you kind of, uh, when DJing, I find if I'm playing on them kind of sound uh, sound systems, I have to be kind of more particular about the tracks I play, and I'm more 100%. selective because you can't, yeah, you can't just play anything. Especially the tracks that might have like a low a kick drum that sits quite low. Yeah, like frequency-wise, they just get it just gets completely lost on them sound systems. I mean, it's it's quite surprising as well. I mean, even like uh, for example, the system of Burkheim, um I've heard that they um, I've been told that they roll off 50 hertz because otherwise it just becomes too much. So even there, they no roll shit. off fairly fairly high. But um, I'm sure there has been like you know it's done to a point where it's not you're not actually losing anything. That's just mm. purely to gain. Mm. But um, yeah, I know I know what you mean about them kind of subpar sound systems. It can be quite quite frustrating when you're playing on them as well because you're just not getting that feeling that you want to get absolutely from a from a sound system. I'm um, I'm super curious about your story. I, I was sort of like reading like after I'd listened to your music, I was reading up about you and discovered like you're, you're 21 years old. And I was thinking like, holy shit. Well, I'm 22 now. I'm 22. You're 22. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm super curious about your story. Like, I know everyone's got um, one, but but everyone's one's different. Like, fr yeah, yeah, from the start. Like, what? How did you? How did you find music? And like, how have you sort of progressed to this stage in your career where you are now? I mean, 
I suppose for um, the, the listeners' reference out there, like you've you've got releases on Beardman and and Motovolver, which is like a crazy achievement, and like you've you've played Burger, mm. which again, absolutely insane. So yeah, what's your what's your story? Um, well, I mean, I guess I, I start from kind of the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I've I've kind of from like the earliest memory of when I was a kid, I've always kind of been into music. I mean, <clears throat> thinking back when I was maybe like about like six or seven, around that age, like uh, it was like I had my well, it was my brother's, my it was my older brother's, but basically he had this like little um, it was like a a looper like music making machine. It was like um, fully hardware, just a bit of kit, but it was like um, had a bunch of pre-made loops on it, and you could literally just um play different loops and like mash them together and do it live and Ooh. from that i remember from then like I, I used to play around on it and um i just remember from that age i used to just be addicted and just like every time i get back from school just be playing around on this and just kind of making like i didn't know at the time but i was technically just making like little songs with loops and uh yeah i can remember from just like that's my earliest memory probably i can remember enjoying that feeling of kind of making making music live even if i didn't realize even if i didn't know what i was doing mm. and then as i got a little bit older when i was like maybe like nine or ten uh i got into drumming because my uh, my dad was a career drummer okay so, so music sort of always been a part of the family yeah 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 pretty pretty much and then uh and like my mum's my mum's not a musician or anything but she's um she's always been into music although she's learned she's learning guitar now but she yeah just in general she would always be playing music around the house a lot of the time in the kitchen and uh yeah and i got into drumming through my dad and then it wasn't really and then i just carried on drumming and then it wasn't really until i was maybe about uh 13 which i actually started like um dabbling with kind of making music on the computer of like a daw i didn't actually start off with uh proper software i remember i found um like a website where you can put pre-made like pre-made loops together and make tracks and you can um <laughs> yeah put like it's all start off with that kind of stuff and then yeah 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 and then and then eventually yeah then i then i actually discovered about the proper software like daws yeah and it was uh it was Fru uh, fruity loops fl studio which yeah that's I why i started, started on, as is, well that's what i'm but that's what i still use now so I've kind oh, of cool. like, that's Start what i started it. on and i just use it now yeah and um yeah and then from there and then literally from yeah from 13 i just kept kind of making music um uh, just the, like that's the thing it started off where i didn't really it was all just fine experimentation i didn't know anything that i was doing and then as the years went on i kind of um it got more serious and i yeah, kind of yeah. just kept doing it and then I, I realized that this is like what i love doing and uh yeah it got to a point when um i thought i should like just kind of start trying to take it a little bit more seriously and try and put like release some music and um get it out to the world and there wasn't i mean techno and it didn't start with techno though i mean I yeah what were you making at the beginning uh, it started off you started off with like dubstep and drum and bass quite so like a lot of kind of like um un, like underground uk music yeah um is that sort of like then, pretty prevalent in bristol you're, you're bristol based yeah no no i'm from brighton brighton sorry which sorry. is get my bees yeah which up. is south south on the was a coastal town yeah um not too, like an hour or so from london but um yeah that was i mean that was just what 
me and my friends and stuff were into because uh, yeah, especially right. at that age in your te- in your early teens you're kind of very like impressionable and um, yeah, t- totally, you, totally. You very, yeah you, you kind of like whatever your friends like that's what you kind of start gravitating towards yeah, um, yeah. although when I was like when I was growing when I was before as a teenager I actually mainly grew up on hip-hop because that was what my brother listened to I, I pretty much anything that my brother was listening to that's kind of what I uh, went towards but then yeah in terms of uh, making music it started with like dubstep drum and bass and then it wasn't till about it wasn't till my late teens I'd say that I started actually really discovering techno um, oh, I mean I'd heard bits and bits and bobs like over the years but I never really knew like properly about what it was and I'd say like my my earliest memory of the stuff I'd listen to was maybe like drum code stuff so I kind of like <laughs> yeah. uh, like the gate, yeah, the gatekeeper kind of stuff. Yeah, um, uh, I found myself in the same situation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, uh, yes, yeah, that's like the gateway, the gateway techno. Yeah, absolutely. but um, which is yeah, which I mean, which is fine. There's no problem with that. Um, no. And then I say, I say the, and then the thing that kind of really changed it all in terms of uh, me, like, kind of having almost like an epiphany where like yeah. techno was like kind of the music that I was searching for was when um when I saw Ben Clock play for the first time and saw yeah. him play a, a six hour set in uh, London at Fabric Oof. and that was that was like the first ever proper like techno experience I had like I've never I've never seen like an actual uh, techno DJ before that live yeah and um yeah that that like I still like to this day that night like changed everything because uh just I had it because I remember I, w- I went with a friend of mine a good friend of mine and um we didn't really know what to expect either like I remember like uh, that week before the event I was like listening I went on Ben Clock's boiler room like his old boiler room and I was kind of listening to it and I was like I don't know I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy <laughs> this like I'm not because like, that's the thing with that with this kind of music you really have to like like uh DVS1 says like quoted in some of his interviews it's body music like you have to experience it and you have to feel it to really understand it I think and uh yeah like so I didn't really know what to expect and then uh yeah after that night I was just like literally blew my (laughs) mind because like I was just like what is it felt like the whole thing like the whole concept because I heard it before I'd saw that set that um this concept of uh this like the DJ sets being a journey and before that I didn't really understand what people meant by that but then after i saw this set it kind of like just clicked and yeah. i understood fully what yeah. what people meant by saying that because it just felt like one big like it's just like this one big roller coaster ride of like beats and rhythms and just mm. it was yeah just it's just crazy and then since then that's literally i've just been fully balls deep into techno and just <laughs> yeah just i mean i've because I, I used to make all kinds of music, like um, dubstep, drum and bass. I did a lot of um, like electronica stuff and worked with vocalists. And I had like lo- I had loads of fun making loads of different music over the years. But past few years, I've kind of literally just been fully obsessed with techno, and that's kind of definitely where my main passion lies <coughs> with yeah. making music. So that's kind of all I've been focused on. I feel and like then, it, um, yeah, it yeah. Go, go that, on. It just takes that one time, like. It's that it's that one DJ in the right spot in the right time to just sort of give you that experience. But it's like it's I know, like you said, you listen to drum code and stuff. And I mean, I, I was the same. My story's somewhat similar to yours. It, it was one DJ set. Um, it was it was Marcel Detman at um, a, a big festival down here, just out in the middle of the bush, um, called Rainbow right. Serpent. Like big speaker set uh, system, and yeah, it, it's 
it's sort of that difference. It's like you might hear this sort of, like you said, entry level kind of kind of beats, but then you experience it live, and especially when the quality is like someone like Ben Clock when they're bringing all sorts of weird rhythms and sounds that you have never heard before yeah. and like didn't think was possible, but it is that body music. Like it, it requires. Uh, it requires you to feel it to actually be like, holy shit, this is a whole yeah, other thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, because that's the thing, like, um, the the main thing that kind of I took that clicked with me, that kind of um, intrigued me from that Ben Clock set was how, it's how, um, it's basically like the rhythms, like the, in the in the sub bass, like the sub yeah. song grooves. Like, I, I, the main thing that, like, it wasn't, any like melodies or anything any particular sounds that stuck with me the main thing that stuck with me was this kind of like rolling feeling of yeah. how like just and like when i first heard it i didn't fully understand but then the, obviously now the more i researched into it the more i realized it was just something as simple as like a kick drum and like a simple like bass line or like a like a tom percussion groove that works yeah. as a bass line anything that just goes along with the kick that creates that kind of rolling feeling like that i remember hearing a lot of that and that's just what was that's just what kind of blew my mind because it was just because that's the, yeah that's the thing you, you were fit like I was feeling it and I never experienced I never really felt anything like that I mean I'd heard I've seen DJs live and I just like I saw a lot of tech house stuff and everything which yeah. um, was quite had good rhythms and stuff but I don't know it just wasn't it didn't have that it's a different kind hypnotic, of groove for it's sure whole, for sure yeah. it didn't have that it didn't have that hypnotic feel that that kind of uh, clock set had yeah and yeah it was just really really intrigued me after that 100%. That, that's the and difference then, in my mind. It's like a, lo- a lot of, not a lot of, but some techno is, it's just like on on the on the beat and that's it. Like it's, it's ideas are placed in build and builds and drops or something like that rather than like a, a strange groove that's in the straight, sub. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's, that's, that's um, like my, the main thing for me that I try and, uh, that I try and portray in my productions and my DJ sets, it's just having like really infectious grooves. And that's, um, I can lend that back again to after hearing that Ben Clock set. Cause now it's just, for me, the techno that gets me going that I hear live that really kind of gets me excited. It's stuff that just makes you move. Like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to have big You shouldn't even think about moving. Breakdowns. It should just be like dancing. That's it. Exactly, well, that, that's the thing, it just, like rhythms that make me move that want to make me move is just what gets me going and uh that's why yeah i'm just the techno i like is just it has to have a really solid groove to it and um yeah i try and portray that as best i can in my um tracks and my dj sets because uh it just yeah if it doesn't get me dancing then i, I don't want to play it or i don't want to make it 100 it just has to groove groove is literally the key for me yeah absolutely couldn't agree more it's funny. Um, I Ben Clock came and played down in Melbourne, um, somewhat recently. Um, but he played Spirit Molecule. Um, and like I, I had, oh nice, yeah. <laughs> there was a couple of thousand people there. Like it was, I, I got a video out of of it at the time. I was like, what the hell is this? Because again, it was one of those moments <laughs> where it's like, I'm hearing something crazy and new. But it's like there's that yeah, rolling. Yeah rhythm and groove that's in the sub of that track that's just like you said it's infectious i just it's just it's yeah. funny yeah oh. that that track was in the back of my mind for so long and then i just sort of came across i think i was watching a detman set from 
bloody digital festival. And again, it came up and I just sort of shazammed it or something like that or looked in the comments and then there it was. Yeah, yeah. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> Crazy yeah, that was, um, that, That's probably, that's one of my, uh, definitely one of my uh, favorite uh, tracks I've made. And that's definitely probably got the best, best response. I think that and uh, Sling Jockey, which was on the last EP that I did for Motivolva, like them mm. two tracks have probably gotten the best response out of everything that I've put out so far. But um, yeah, well I mean, deserved. And, <laughs> and them, them kind of tracks, like Spirit Molecule, I can't even. I find like the best things that you make as a producer, you can't even really remember making them. It just kind of just happens. Like they just. It just happens, yeah. Like the tracks almost make themselves in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because everything just everything just falls into place, and it just kind of just seems to happen naturally. I mean, I remember with that track, uh, I was I made the rhythm, like I made the main beat, which kind of sounded good, and I, I was enjoying it because I had a good groove to it. But there was like something missing, and I couldn't really, I didn't really know, I don't, I don't really know what to add. This is before I added like the little weird vocal sample. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, like so, I had a good groove, and I was, I definitely was liking the idea. <clears throat> and this all happened in like one night as well. I made the track and just like a the best really ones long, happen in the quickest uh, all night session. Of time. And yeah, just add. I remember just played around and stumbled on um, adding that weird kind of uh, robotic sound, and uh, that's that just kind of finished the track for me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that that was that was it done. It's <laughs> signed, sealed, <laughs> delivered. It's that like, it's that robot voice and it's that sort of knocking, I don't know how to describe it, but it's that sort of delayed knocking noise that sort of like comes yeah. in and out of the track. I don't even, that's the thing, I, I, don't, I don't, I can't remember how I did any, <laughs> how I made any, because I think a lot, a lot of it, and a lot of this is just with my production in general, it's all, I just experiment usually and just kind of mess around until something sounds good. I mean... Like I know what I'm, I, I know what I'm doing, but at the same time, I just literally play around and experiment until I kind of land on something that sounds good. I mean, so it's a bit, it's yeah, it's like half knowing what I'm doing, half kind of uh, you know, if you throw enough shit at the wall, some will stick. <laughs> that kind of that kind of that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. Um, what's the like the club scene in Brighton like did you sort of find your feet there in terms of playing gigs and and, and whatnot before um, moving the, I mean the, the scene the scene here uh, I mean there's not in terms of techno there's not really too much happening I mean over the years there has been we've had some good nights and good people and good people have come to play but it's kind of definitely slowed down with techno uh, there's a lot of like house um disco and like other kinds of music like um i know like the reggae roots kind of scene the sound system scene here is really big but in terms of like yeah techno stuff it's kind of slowed down a bit um i mean and uh, i definitely got quite a lot of dj experience here just because i've played or i played i played quite a lot here just for like with friends who have put on nights and just um mm. different nights just in general uh but that was more kind of just general DJing experience. I'd say it wouldn't, I didn't really get too much grounding for my actual kind of stuff that I do under Rene Wise and like the DJ style that I've developed for that um, 
artist kind of alias. I've never really. Okay. That the, the main experience for that has, has mainly just come from the gigs that I've got over the past few years since I've started releasing music. But definitely, but definitely, yeah, I've, I've definitely played quite a lot around Brighton, just in general for, like I said, for different nights, uh, regardless of the music. It might it it wasn't always strictly the stuff that I would do for like Rene Wise. It might just be mixed, but. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it was good. Still got some experience, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, club scene-wise, it's not. I mean, we've got some a few good clubs, but nothing. Like for me, for instance, I if I'm going, I usually just go to London if I'm going to an event. Yeah. If I'm going to yeah, because that's that's just where the stuff that I want to see happens. But um, there's a really good hub here for like producers and DJs and stuff. There's loads of good people here. Mm. Um, like there's like for, for instance like charles green he's a really good dj and producer and he's a resident at patterns which is um my favorite club here mm. uh people like alex downey is a really really good dj and it's just yeah there's there's loads of good people here doing their own thing um it's just not i don't think there's too much happening club scene wise mm. so you sort of mentioned there like you were you're doing other stuff that wasn't under the name of renee wise yeah um yeah, I used to, so, kind of, uh, for a good few years, I was making music under a different name called uh, A-State, and it was mainly, like, um, it was, like, electronica stuff, mixed electronica, and uh, I was working I was working with um, a friend of mine, Alex Over, and we kind of had, like, a little duo going, and we were just making music, and um, we worked with quite a lot of vocalists, just mainly on more... Yeah, electronica, songwriting-based stuff. And um, we were actually meant to release some of it on uh, Fat Cat Records, which is um, one of the main independent labels based in Brighton. But uh, just a bit like, just through the natural course of plans changing and all that kind of stuff, uh, we never got around to actually releasing it. But Hmm. through, it was actually through Fat Cat, Records is actually how I got my release on Mark Broom's Beard Man, because um, Dave Corley, who was a uh, co-founder of Fat Cat, because Fat Cat Records used to be a record shop uh, based in London and in Brighton, and they actually used to they started off as like um, shipping like loads of uh, like Detroit techno and house, and uh, they used to get a lot yeah, of yeah. the guys back then coming into their shop. So they they started off on techno, and like if you go on Fat Cat Records, I think their first releases were like. The early grain stuff, you know, uh, artwork, his techno alias grain, and they were the first releases. They're really like really good stuff, really worth checking out. Mm. But so yeah, they started off as a they started off as a techno label. So Dave, who um, was like a really nice guy, who I met through um, a music college I used to go to because he, he used to come in and visit and do little talks. He's he's like still in touch with a lot of these guys, and he actually knows Mark. And I remember I was sending Dave some of my um, Whilst I was working with Fat Cat doing my other stuff, I was actually yeah, yeah. sending Dave some of my Rene Wise stuff, and he he really liked it, and he um he said to me, "Do you want me to send them over to people like Mark and and such?" Yes, please. So I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, go for it." And um, yeah, so that was actually funny enough how all the Rene Wise stuff started kind of uh, properly kicking off. I mean, I had a few digital digital releases before that on Rene Wise, but yeah, the the Beardman release definitely kicked things off. Yeah, um, yeah, and then since kind of since since the the Beardman release, the uh, other stuff that I was doing under the other name kind of started to fizzle out, and I kind of starts I start 
started spending less and less time on it and just focusing on uh, Rene Wise. How did um, Motivolva come into the mix? Was that sort of just like in the wake of, of the Beardman release? Yeah, that... Uh, yeah, that was actually from after the yeah after the Beardman release. Um, I kind of heard and saw that uh, the EP was getting quite a lot of support from Luke. And Luke, I mean, for me, in terms of like, especially for production, Luke's probably like my biggest production inspiration. Yeah. Like, uh, I f- like he's at like the top for me in terms of making like forward thinking but still functional techno, which is just always sounds fresh and timeless like he is at the top for me surface and, noise I mean, is even one he, of the rudest tracks but like uh it's amazing i, I agree just, like he's, yeah, it's, he's it's, on a different plane every, like everything he's done since just the 90s is just you know it's just always consistent and you know yeah. i don't i don't want to get too much into comparing but as much as i love people like jeff mills and robert hood and a lot of their groundbreaking kind of uh, production i i still feel like luke has always been at the top and has always made just the best like most timeless stuff but yeah, yeah anyway totally um, totally after the after the beard man release i saw that he was um supporting the ep quite a lot and motivolva was always uh, like that was always one of my like future gold labels but i just never kind of it always seemed a bit kind of far out like i didn't expect any of that i didn't expect i'd ever kind of get the chance to release on there anytime soon yeah, yeah. So I was. It was like a. It was like a future. A future goal, trying to get music to them. Uh, but then, after seeing that, I was kind of getting so much support on that EP from Luke. Um, I asked Mark if he would be cool to send him some unreleased tracks. And Mark is like a, a super nice guy. Um, mm. I really owe a lot to him for being. You know, giving me first off, giving me the opportunity to release on his label when I was still like a really unknown name. And he's just a very humble, down to earth guy. And he sent over some unreleased stuff to Luke. And uh, I think, you know, like in Luke got back to me, he, he emailed me after like uh, maybe, I think even maybe the same day or the next day after getting some of my unreleased stuff and asked if I wanted to do a EP on Motivolver, which, <laughs> you know, I was crazy, I dude. Definitely probably replied in like the first five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, oh my God. Your heart would have skipped a beat when you saw that pop up. Jesus. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was, that was. That was a, a really, a really big moment for me. Just in, not just for the, not not for the fact that you know it's it's a big label and it's and it's um, you know a big established label. It's just for the fact that, like I said, Luke's always been since I've started my techno journey. Luke's been the top for me in terms of inspiration for production, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's just and motivator in general. I feel I just I don't think there's kind of one release that I don't like on the label. I think it's all really good stuff. It's humbling, man. Like, I'm sure you would have felt that, like, uh, after he said, like, can I release some of this stuff? You're definitely yeah, on the right path. For sure, man. <laughs> for sure, man. It's, it's, it's still, yeah, I, I still find it quite quite crazy to think about. But I'm just, I'm super grateful for the opportunity. Totally, and, uh, totally. Yeah, man. I mean, you give to music and music will give back to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is quoting uh, DVS1 again which I heard off one of his interviews who just to like mention he's for, for DJing he's he's like he's my number one, my number one. for sure he's my number yeah same same here he's, he's my number one as well yeah. but yeah he said he said something similar like if you put enough if you put enough into it and you give enough of yourself over the years then 
you know, eventually it will give back in one way or another. Totally. It's kind of funny because, like, Devious One, I, he wasn't really properly... I mean, he was big in his hometown, but he, he, he wasn't really properly big until his 30s or something like that. Well, that's... Yeah, that's the thing. He, I mean, it was after he got his... Because uh, he... He had simultaneous releases. His first release is one on Transmat and uh, the other on Clockworks. Yeah, I think that's that was like what opened all the doors for him. But yeah, he yeah, definitely do it. From the sounds of it, he's been he's been doing this thing for like for years in Minneapolis. Like he's a local. Like some I know some guys from Minneapolis, and they all say he's a local legend around there. And they yeah. say because he, he, I know he throws. He's got his kind of parties that he still throws. I think it's hush parties. Yeah, that yeah he still yeah. does. Um, and apparently, like even all the crowd there when when he plays, you know, they're not. It's not like uh, DVS One. They don't see him as like DVS One on this pedestal. They just see him as you know Zach, the local DJ. Yeah, just, yeah. They've been seeing for years. He's our boy. So it all sounds very, it all sounds very kind of humble and down to earth there, which is good. He seems like a really humble, yeah. down to earth guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've not met him yet, but he's Neither. someone I'd <laughs> really love to meet. Just yeah. like someone I'd love to meet and just have a conversation with because uh, yeah, totally. Every time I hear him, every time I hear him speak on interviews and stuff, he just. Everything he says is just kind of so real. Yeah, it just resonates with me. Resonates with me a lot, and um, and yeah, his style, his style of DJing has kind of influenced me quite a lot as well. Mm. Uh, like him and him and Ben Clock for DJing have definitely probably been my um, biggest influences over the years. Just in terms of kind of the style and the, the mixing techniques and their sounds, it just um, it's all been very influenced influential for me because it's all it's all it's super groovy like. I remember yeah, when I first it. saw DVS One play, because like, I remember, yeah, like Ben Clock was always like the king of groove for me, uh, for techno DJs. And then I remember when I first heard DVS One play, he like took what I loved about Ben and kind of like stepped it up like three <laughs> notches, being yeah. even like faster, even harder, like more hypnotic. It was just, it was just insane. So he's he's still my number one for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, he, he came down to Melbourne not too long ago for, for a gig um, and it got till 5am. He'd played for like four or five hours at this stage, um, which is sort of long for like a Melbourne set. Uh, we don't, well, we're starting to get that a bit more right. often, but like it's um, not, not too common, but it got to the end of this, like of his set and like they started to turn on lights and just shut down the music and he was just sort of laughing like oh, I can't do much I want to keep going but I can't do much but yeah, it yeah. was just like yeah when you think it's not possible to just like level up on where the set's already at he just sort of finds another way to just sort of keep on chugging away and it's it's, a, it's yeah, a sort man, of a I mean, weird one to sort of describe to people because the music's hard fast dark but it's groovy as hell but the thing is like the sound that he plays as well like um, he's he's one of the guys who's really kind of um made me research into kind of the tracks into how different tracks sound on a sound system i mean mm. if you like if you hear a dvs1 set uh like for instance if you see some of the sets that are recorded online and you listen to them and you kind of research some of the tracks you'll hear a lot of the tracks if you might listen to them at home they don't necessarily sound like their peak time tracks yeah like totally peak hard-hitting tracks like a lot of the stuff he plays when i listen to it maybe at home it sounds kind of really deep, uh, like really deep and groovy, and it still sounds really good. But you wouldn't, you might not expect it to sound as kind of monstrous as it does on a sound system. I mean, yeah. even with his own, his own productions are a, a good example because they're all very stripped back. They all have like very kind of deep, 
round kick drums. But like I didn't when I first heard some of his tracks on a on a good sound system, I was like blown away with how these tracks I did that sounded like deep and not too kind of heavy to me at home. How how just monstrous they sounded on these big mm. sound systems, and it made me really rethink the type of tracks that I play because um, yeah, it just makes it just makes you kind of realise that um, it's not always it doesn't have to be the tracks that are kind of meant to sound really heavy like this you hear some tracks maybe on smaller speakers at home and uh they might be like really i mean this isn't um this isn't having like a shot at any particular style but mm. they might it's like they're made to sound impressive almost at home yeah 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 whereas the stuff i find which kind of sounds maybe a bit more dynamic and um not as sonically impressive on smaller speakers can sometimes be the most hard-hitting punchy stuff on a good sound system mm, agreed it's sort of just again it's like that richness in the bottom end that uh, something at home just couldn't replicate but as soon as you put it on a a big sound system it's a it's a whole different world yeah for sure i mean i mean i it's like i saw when i saw function play one time he um he did like a little improvised 909 thing kind of like what jeff mills does yeah so he just had a 909 with him and I remember just simply hearing like a 909, a raw 909 kick drum on a sound system was just like, was just insane. Yeah. And I was just like, if if this, if a raw night, if a raw drum machine kick like that can sound like that on a system, then it makes you rethink when you're producing and not over processing on your elements and not kind of destroying them too much because it because you think it doesn't sound as impressive enough so it it does does make you rethink and gives you a different perspective on the stuff that you make and uh listen to when you're digging for music as well yeah, totally it, it's 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 sort of funny it's like producing at home is almost like a mental battle against yourself because i'm yeah, sure like sure. the dudes who have done it for years obviously they sort of know what sounds good in the studio what sorry what will translate in the studio into what will sound good in a club but that's the thing. I feel like you can get caught up in trying to just make it sound so good on your speaker that it loses that element in like a louder yeah. environment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that, like you said, the more experience you gain over the years, the more and the more you know your setup, the more you kind of do understand what might what will tra probably translate well on a system. But at the same time, I still find myself. With my own tracks, I might make something that I, I think is definitely going to translate well. And then when I get to finally test it out, it's just kind of, it's just lackluster and it it, um, it underwhelms me. Mm. And then other tracks, which I do, which um, I, I kind of think that they might sound good, but I'm not too sure on them. They can sometimes sound the best. And the same, same with Dick when I'm digging for music as well. Like there's a lot of tracks that I've downloaded that I kind of might have dismissed. But then when I finally got around to testing them out live, I found like a new love for them just because they kind of impressed me how sonically good they sounded. Yeah. So I think, sure. I think yeah, I think it can all be, it's a mix of uh, gaining the experience and kind of knowing knowing what might sound good. But at the same time, I still I still, I still think it's a lot of trial and error. Even like the top guys, I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't, uh, they don't nail it every time. They probably um, still have to go through that trial and error of, uh, making a few things until something sounds good and testing stuff out yeah. live we might think that they're dj gods but they're still only human <laughs> no no yeah exactly <laughs> everyone like 
you never stop learning with this stuff as oh, well. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the day you the day, the day you think you stop learning is the day where that'll be that'll be your downfall because yeah, uh, I think I don't you've think, had it at that I don't stage. Think there's yeah, there's never a there's never a stopping point with this. I feel I feel like you always you always keep progressing and, and learning, and you always you always have to be in that mind state of uh, wanting to learn. Like I always I always tell I always have to remind myself like. I know some stuff, but I still don't know shit. Like I still have so much to learn, and there's still Such so a much deep that I want rabbit to learn. Hole. So, yeah. Um, I mean, so so like like all these dudes, like Devious One and and Ben Clock, being your influences, their their big house is obviously Bergheim. Um, how was how was your opening set there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> as an experience yeah, and everything, like how'd you how'd you go? Open, and, uh, like the opening set was um i'd say it's probably for like for my myself it's probably one of the most uh what's the best way to say it the most kind of complete and satisfying sets that i've played just because i really like i really prepared for it in uh like i remember i remember with this one because usually the way the way just the way i organize music for dj sets in general is i organize everything in moods which is uh, actually like a little yeah. Uh, way of picked up from um, listening to DBS one yep. and that's kind of organizing your music in moods so like having like deep um, hypnotic heavy you know that kind of thing the playlist yeah so all my general all my music is organized into that so it's quite easy to flow to where you want to go yep. in the moment but with with the opening set I kind of made I had all my general playlists but then I created specific playlists just for this so I kind of had like um, an intro playlist I had a, like a playlist which was mainly for like the first hour or so and then one for the second hour and I kind of um, I mainly prepared for like the first two hours so then because I felt like when I got to the second hour then I was just gonna go over the flow and freestyle yeah and uh, not I, I didn't prepare I didn't prepare in the sense of specifically picking what tracks I'm gonna play one after the other yeah, but yeah. in the sense of having maybe like 30 tracks in both of them playlists which I think I might play and then in the moment I just picked the ones which felt right so I kind of prepared, did prepare a little bit more in that respect, and um, yeah, it just it just went really well. Like it flowed just how I wanted it to flow. Uh, got a really good reaction from the crowd and a lot of positive feedback as well. And um, Fuck yeah, yeah. And I, feel, I feel like, for, especially for, for an opening set and especially for opening a place like that, it needs to be done. It needs to be done right. Um, mm. And it, I, I feel like it's a good opportunity to really. Um, portray your kind of skills as a DJ mm. with, an, with an opening set because obviously everyone loves to play the peak time sets and that's kind of like where a lot of the fun can be but really kind of going deep into an opening and having it more prepared um, yeah it was a lot of fun it was it was like the first proper opening set I've played as well mm. I've played a few I've played a few early slots in the past in different places but never like a true opening slot like that one especially for four hours as well because but the last the last kind of two hours you start getting into your usual sound anyway yeah yeah the more kind of peak time stuff but uh yeah that that was like a really really fun experience and um it's, i was more prepared this time because that was the second time that i got the chance to play at Bergheim. Oh, so this wasn't uh, the like first funny, time. funny enough, yeah. the first time I played, the first time I played back in uh, November last year, I was playing the four till seven a.m. slot, 
and uh, I'd never been to Berghain before that. So this was like, <laughs> how is that? Was like, <laughs> yeah, this was like so much. I mean, like the pressure because yeah, I before gigs, I still, I mean, I I still have a bit of nerves, but it's like just the right amount. I, f- I find it's the right amount of nerves just to keep you on your toes and like yeah, uh, just enough to keep yeah keep you in focus. But for this, this was like the, the first gig in a long time where I was like, yeah, mouth was completely dry. I was just like, <laughs> definitely shitting bricks a little bit. But it was, I mean, because, uh, yeah, and that's the thing, because I was playing the four till um, seven slot. Mm. I literally only had four hours to scope the place out for the very first time. And of course, and I had like a bunch of friends with me as well. So we got there at like 12 when it opened at midnight. And, uh, <laughs> I kind of the first three hours <laughs> I started I almost started having a bit too much fun because uh, yeah. I was just enjoying the place so much the like and the music and everything so I was kind of just having a really good time for the first three hours had a few drinks as well which I because I usually always play sober but it was hard to not have a few drinks when I was when I was there for the first time and it got gets to 3 a.m. Uh, I checked the time I realized that I've got a plan. I'm playing in an hour. I'm a little bit tip. I'm a little bit tipsy. I'm you almost forgot that you were playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm already a little bit tired from just dancing so much. So then I had to disconnect and I kind of went away from my friends and uh, just walked around and chilled by myself for an hour just to kind of uh, start getting into the zone. And um, that set and that set went really well as well, that, um, which was good. But at the same time, the opening set, I'd played there once and I'd been there a few times after that, just in general. So I had more, now I had more experience of the club and I knew about the sound system more and the crowd. So it was a lot easier to uh, to judge what kind of stuff to play as well. Um, but yeah, that was just a funny little story about the first time as well. The first time we go in, there's always a rude awakening because you hear so much about it and then it's like, oh my God, I'm... I'm actually here. My, I'm actually walking through the door, and you know it's intense the moment yeah, you get through, like the bounces, and then the room where they sort of pat you down and 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 shit, and then like, yeah, just yeah, everything, everything. It's just very surreal about it, because like you said, with their marketing about being so hard to get in, and it's so like mysterious, and you only hear the stories. Yeah, like I think everyone who wants to go there hasn't been yet. They read up so much stuff online, and <laughs> yeah. so when you. Which probably uh, makes it even more nerve-wracking when you uh, queue up. Because I remember I went I went to Berlin for the first time in 2017 uh, with a few friends, and we tried to, we tried to go, and uh, of course got turned down Denied. a good few times. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, it's all I mean, it's all part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. Even though even though it's not it's not very fun queuing up for a long time and getting rejected, but. Uh, I remember when I when I left that when I came back home after that Berlin trip, um, even though I didn't get in, just the the kind of build up every night before we would go was like it's fun in itself, you know, because you, you just you get excited plus nervous, yeah, you don't know whether totally. you're gonna go in or not. And plus with Berlin as well, if you get rejected, there's so many other places to go <laughs> yeah. and have a good time. Yeah. So it's not it's not the end of the world. Definitely not. It's kind of funny in, here in Australia. It's like obviously we're on the other side of the world. So we hear about this yeah. place, like this wacky, tacky kind of land that's just totally different to anything <laughs> that we have down here. And then you actually get there and it just blows your brain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, when you, when you live, because I mean, I'm only an hour and a, 
hour and a half away from Berlin mm. by plane. So it's it's you gotta like have some control, some self control about not We're going. Twenty five hours. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> what, from Australia to Berlin? Yeah, from Australia to Berlin, 25. Jesus Christ, man. I mean, <laughs> it must be, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably not too cheap either. Ah, uh, it's not, it, yeah. It's like a couple of grand for a ticket. Uh, what, in Australian dollars? Yeah, in Australian dollars. You can get I'm lucky sure and get like a, a $1,000, which I know is probably about five, 600 quid return. Gosh, that's something, that's, that's, Still insane. I mean, uh, yeah. The most of the most of most I've paid for a flight to Berlin, which was still um, a lot of money for a flight to Berlin, was I think 177 pounds. Jesus. I mean, <laughs> I'm but, living I mean, in the yeah. wrong bloody bloody place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, but I mean, that's because I don't want to. I don't want to kind of go too crazy on speaking about Burkine just because I feel like I feel like some people as well probably get sick of hearing about it. But <laughs> for me, for me, for me, it's like the kind of it's my idea of how techno should be presented, just in terms of like the architecture, the yeah. sound, the um, the whole thing they've got with like the no phones. I mean, that's that's yeah, one yeah. thing that sticks with me. That aside from like the crazy sound system and the DJs and everything, the just a simple thing of being surrounded with a crowd who are all just dancing and not feel like looking at their phones just it's so refreshing because when there is like a big moment in the dj set you look around and everyone's everyone's enjoying the moment without kind of worrying about having to yeah. film it or anything like that yeah and i, I feel so it's just it's just a moment. policy that i feel like should be pushed with most clubs these days most uh underground well, techno clubs clubs that play that kind of music and i know in in london it's becoming more of a thing now more nights and clubs are imposing the um the no phone thing so i think it's good i think a lot of places around the world are slowly recognizing that it's a policy that should be uh enforced more especially for, for this kind of music oh yeah you you snap out of that sort of hypnosis if you're on your phone you just you're not with it it all becomes yeah, sort sure. of background yeah yeah um, definitely yeah um, I'm curious, where does the name Rene Wise come from? Uh, like, I wish I had an exciting story to tell you, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's nothing, it's nothing special. I mean, I, um, I remember seeing the name Wise on a, uh, <laughs> it was actually on a, it was like, it's at my dad's place when I went to visit him. And it was like a, it was a letter on his table from his uh, solicitor at the time. <clears throat> and the guy's name was, uh, I can't remember his first name, but his second name was Wise. And I remember seeing that and I was just like, that's a cool second name. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I noted that down, Wise. And then uh, me and my, uh, my good friend Oscar, we just kind of brainstormed for a first name <clears throat> that would fit along alongside it. And somehow just ended up on Rene. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how it got to Rene, but. Yeah, just ended up on Rene and Rene Wise was uh, was born. But but Rene, like when I first made the Rene Wise um, like alias, it wasn't it didn't start off with techno. Like I went I, th I went through kind of like a couple different styles of music before I really before I discovered that Ben Clock set and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I think it I think it started off with like more kind of tech housey slightly edm -y kind of stuff 
and maybe moved into uh, I can't even I can't even remember to be honest. But yeah, it Rene Wise went through a couple different stages before it landed on the stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, not not an exciting story. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it it's like a really suiting name because you sort of like you listen to to the music of Rene Wise and like the name it sort of holds this sort of aura like you've been around <laughs> in the game for like <laughs> 40 years or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with um, with how the name kind of turned out. I mean, it all it all like I said, it, it didn't start off techno, but it kind of it seems to work nicely. And um, I've had quite a few compliments in the past saying that the name sounds quite cool, which I'm glad of. <laughs> and it's, it's and it's just um you like you type in on Google, there's pretty much no one else called uh, Rene Wise <laughs> in the world, so it's it's good in that respect as well. Mm. it's funny that you got to sort of we got to deal with what's it like to google <laughs> is this name very good yeah no it's it's, uh, it's not exactly something you want to have to focus on when you when you're kind of um doing music as as your own artist but you know i guess it does um it's definitely relevant to think about yeah absolutely. i know there's some there's some artist names where you kind of uh you search them up and it's kind of if, if you it's just impossible to find your like links associated with the actual artist because it yeah. might just be such a a name it might just be such like a standard word that relates to so many other things but mm. you know i guess when you when you get getting into the more kind of marketing side of things and having that kind of mindset yeah it does help to have a more unique name but yeah i use it's not exactly the funnest thing yeah exactly i i i just use my last name as like my artist name um but i was <laughs> i was looking on on spotify just like search the name just to see if anything came up and there's this italian trance guy who's <laughs> like shares the same name and it's like really cheesy <laughs> trancey kind of yeah, music yeah the pro, the pro, does it does it uh i mean have you got have you got music released yeah 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 and, all oh, right. Well, stuff on Spotify as well, because I was going to say the the worst thing is because uh, I've I've had it I've seen it a few, a few times with like um, other people. Is I go on their Spotify page and um, it's like sixty percent of the music is the actual music from them, but then like you hear a bunch of random crap and you're just like, what the yeah. hell is this? And then you realise you realise it's just another artist with the same name that Spotify hasn't managed to uh, separate. So that's. That's a bit of a bit of an annoying dilemma, but yeah, exactly. Not much you can do. So hopefully, people aren't aren't mistaking you for Italian trance. <laughs> I fucking hope not. <laughs> <laughs> did you like before the sort of the techno stuff came out? Did you have other stuff online that was sort of like of your other genre? Or? Um, uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I had anything, anything properly released. I mean, I, I had like back in the day, like I, I remember I self-released like an EP just through like, uh, you know, like them services where you can get it on iTunes, Spotify, but this is like years ago and it was, um, I didn't know anything that I was doing. I was literally just doing it for the, um, for the experience and to try to like have my stuff on iTunes. But yeah, that was, that never really amounted to anything. Um, but yeah, I don't think I think the Rene Wise stuff was when I had first had proper releases because I mean, the first release I had was a digital release on 
Anemone uh, recordings. Uh, I did two EPs, two two-track EPs on there. Then after that, I had one a digital EP on Arts. And then <clears throat> after that is when the Beardman stuff happened. Mm. So yeah, that was that was the first time of uh, properly releasing. And um, the first, yeah, my first, I mean, my first couple of releases, um, I'm not, I, I, don't, I definitely don't regret anything because um, I'm, I'm happy of the label giving me the opportunity at the time to release mm. my stuff because it was a good, it was a good experience and a oh, yeah, totally. good learning curve. Um, but that's something, if I was, when I look back in hindsight, uh, and this is something that I say to kind of, because I've got a few kind of friends, younger guys who are producing as well. Yeah. getting into this starting to get into the world of uh having releases and stuff and i just kind of mentioned don't um don't rush into releasing i think because uh that's yeah you know, i mean it's, because i i went through the, the stage as well you get to a point where you do it just it is all very exciting and you just want to kind of get stuff out but if you're kind of looking at things in a long-term perspective then uh, i think it's better to slow down a bit and just keep making music and keep progressing and getting better because uh especially i mean I, i'm still in that stage as well where you're just you learn so much so quickly in such a short period of time like one one year's difference at this stage is pretty dramatic i think whereas i think the more the more years you get the more years you do it and the more experience you get the kind of um i feel like the slower the progress you still progress but maybe it's maybe at a slower rate yeah almost like um it's almost like if you go into the gym, for instance, I imagine when you first start going, you probably, you might build muscle quite quickly in, in a short periods of time, but you know, the bigger you get, the slower your, prog- your, um, your progression is going to be. I feel like it might be the same with uh, music as well. The more, the more you start learning, the more you know, the slower you progress, but you still, you're still always progressing. But yeah, at this stage, I feel like, I mean, even though I've been doing this for like producing for maybe eight, I think coming on nine years now, I feel like only in the past few years I've really started to grow into my own kind of way of working and my own um, sound that I like, that I know. So I feel like now is actually, everything before that was kind of like a big experimentation period and now is where I'm getting more into the the more serious side of things. Yeah, totally. Where, um, yeah, if you, can, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been doing it um, for like a similar amount of time, like nine or 10 years. And I feel like it took me that long to sort of get to that stage where you've developed your your, your tool set and you're you, yeah. you sort of like, it's more or less like, how are you going to implement that whilst still learning, but also trying to take it seriously? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a better way of putting it. It's like the first kind of years coming up is just learning about them tools and then eventually, yeah, you get to a point where you kind of, like you said, develop your own tool set and that's where things become a little bit more, I mean, I kind of, I don't like using the word professional uh, just for myself because, um, I don't know, I just feel like being classed as a professional is just, like, I don't, I don't know when I'd ever get to a point where I'd be comfortable calling myself professional just because, I, I don't know, I just, I, when, I, when I compare myself to, you know, the people that I look up to and aspire to be, I still see myself very kind of far away. So I, st- I still feel like before I could class myself as professional, I just need to keep working. And then, uh, you know, maybe maybe in the future when I've 
gain much more experience, then I'll then I'll be more comfortable saying that. But yeah, it's when it start. It's it's now at that stage where it's slowly progressing into that um, professional bracket. I would say. Yeah, I'd say you're pretty much you're you're definitely on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> What's like sort of your 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 future plans for the music? Are you just sort of working on more? EP style releases or is there something like long um, LP sort of style yeah, coming out? Yeah. It's uh yeah, I mean just at this point it's just carrying on making stuff and uh just slowly trying to put out more music. I mean I've got just to plug some stuff. I've got a yeah, uh, go my next it. release is coming out in October on um it's a really cool upcoming label from South Africa called Knowledge Imprint, uh run by a guy called Dino. Because we've got a couple of gigs in South Africa and uh, yeah, so far, do, do you know that. about them? Yeah, yeah, no, I was checking out oh. your, your your roster and that, that I suppose that'd be like a pretty special thing for you because it's a bloody long way away from from Brighton. Yeah, that, I mean that's that, that's going to be that's a couple couple flights away, like twenty two hours overall. But yeah, that, oh. that's uh, <laughs> really looking forward, really 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 looking forward to that. And uh, cool. the label Knowledge Imprint, it's just um they've just done really cool stuff. I mean it's only. I think it's only six or seven releases deep so far, but they um, it's all really quality stuff and they get really good support from um, good DJs. And just uh, Dino, the guy who runs it, is just really down-to-earth and genuine. And he uh, seems to be doing a really good thing for building the scene in South Africa because uh, they put on events and stuff as well, as well as doing the running the label. So I'm doing a split EP with uh, Dino, the owner, which is coming out in October. And then uh, I've got some other stuff coming up. Just trying to think about what, uh, what if I should say some stuff in terms of the releases. I've, I've got some, uh, like, hopefully should be doing another full-length solo EP on Motivolver for next year. Yeah. Um, that's in the works. And then uh, some other stuff with some other guys that I won't mention just yet, just because there's no scheduling or anything. And I like to, I don't really like to speak about a release unless I know I've got things scheduled but there's uh yeah there's some exciting stuff in the works that hopefully should all come to the forefront next year so i just have to wait oh, yeah. and see what happens can you hear it dude it'll be good yeah but yeah just making music really and uh that's just what i'm focusing on just carrying on making stuff and uh i mean i've got i'm sitting on pretty crazy amount of unreleased stuff at the moment probably like like 40 tracks maybe yeah and that's uh that's from like the past kind of year and a half i'd say just so, yeah that. it's just just a case of carrying on working and uh carrying on making stuff just with that with like sitting on a bunch of unreleased tracks i sort of find myself again in the similar situation where i don't know i've got 30 40 tracks just sort of sitting there what do you what, what in your in your mind like what do you do with them? <laughs> um, I mean, you. I think just in general, it's good. To, it's always good to have a big backstock of stuff uh, that you're sitting on just for labels and stuff. And uh, like, like I've got like some of them tracks in that big playlist of unreleased stuff. Some of them are the ones that are possibly going to be forthcoming on the, some of the upcoming releases that I've got. So some of them are kind of uh, possibly forthcoming, and the other ones uh, are really just send them around um, most of the time I just send them either to like uh, DJ DJ friends of mine to kind of test them out mm. 
and yeah, I mean, there's not really much else you can do if you're if if you're not self-releasing or doing anything like that. If you're just purely sending to labels, then uh, yeah, it's just stuff you set on and you either shoot them over to labels, um, send them to friends and their DJ peers, mm. play them out yourself. It's not really, I guess, there's not really much else you can do. I, it's kind of like a a good thing in a sense, just because like they're your secret weapons, like. <laughs> Yeah, sort of is sure. like a part of what's making your sound and like no one else yeah. might have some of these tracks, which, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think as well, like in for the releasing aspect, I feel like it's better to sit on tracks and kind of get to know them more over a certain period of time before you decide that you want to release them. Because every, I find with myself anyway, every time I make a track, like I usually... Like if I make an idea that it prom- sounds promising, I'll be in kind of like this kind of. Uh, I look at everything with like rose-tinted glasses. Like I listen to. <laughs> I, I think it's like the best. I think it's like the best thing I've ever made. But then you sit on it for like a few weeks and you make some more stuff and then you listen back to it and it, it either holds up to when you first made it or you like you know it sounds like shit and you move on. Mm. So you kind of and especially the more even the more time you sit on stuff, like if you've sound a track for like a few months that gives you even a better perspective i feel uh as long as you don't over listen to it yeah that's the problem with with new ideas you kind of listen to them so much just when you're making them and then after you finish them you kind of keep going back and listening just to make sure you're happy with it that can really um taint your perspective on the track and you might start you might start hearing problems that aren't necessarily there just from purely listening to it too much so I feel like it's good to make something, call it finished, move on and do some new stuff. And then yeah, after a certain absolutely. period of time, go back to it and then really kind of uh, gauge your opinion on what you feel on that track. Yeah, couldn't agree more. If you've made it here, then thank you very much for listening to the first edition of Boomfcast in Conversation. And also a big thanks to Andrew for taking the time out of his day to record this. And... And a big thanks to Andrew for taking the time out of his day to have a chat with me. I hope you gained something from this conversation, as I certainly did and felt quite inspired after it. I also noticed that I sound a lot more like a bogan during these conversations than I do in these intros and outros, but that's just me. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you at the next Boomfcast in Conversation. To keep up with all that is to come on Boomfcast, you can head over to our website, boomfcast.com, and give us a like on Facebook. So until next time, thank you very much for listening and we hope to catch you at the next Boomfcast in Conversation. Boomfcast.